Well, good morning. Our children are going to be with us in the service this morning, so I'm excited about that. As we are talking about children, I just have a couple of illustrations that I thought you might enjoy. Pearls, nuggets of truth from the mouths of babes. I'm sure that uh, you've all experienced something like this. I think I told you one of these before. I don't know, but uh, here we go. Uh, a Sunday school teacher asked her preschool class as they were on their way to the church service, why is it necessary to be quiet in church? One bright little girl replied, because people are sleeping. <laughs> you know, th the interesting thing about all these is this. There's an element of truth in all of these, and you all know it. Finding one of her students making faces at others on the playground, Mrs. Smith stopped to gently correct the child. Smiling sweetly, the Sunday school teacher said, Bobby, when I was a child, I was told that if I made ugly faces, it would freeze and it would stay like that. Bobby looked up and replied, Well, Mrs. Smith, you can't say that you weren't warned. <laughs> I'm not just going to say it. That was brilliant. That is just, yeah, I, I'm like, oh man, I wish I'd have had that one. <laughs> Attending a wedding for the first time, a little girl whispered to her mother, why is the bride dressed in white? Because white is the color of happiness, and today is the happiest day of her life. Her mother tried to explain, keeping it simple. The child thought for a, a moment and then said this, so why is the groom wearing black? <laughs> yeah, you try and get it right. And, and I'll tell you, what, I, I, I like this last one, and it's probably very, very true. All right, here we go. A little girl became restless as the preacher's sermon dragged on and on. Okay, I get it, all right? Finally, she leaned over to her mother and whispered, Mommy, if we give him the money now, will he let us go? <laughs> I'm sure children feel like they're being hot, held hostage in church, and that's not what we're trying to do. And by the way, they are all up here, and I'm really glad that they are up here and um, experiencing life and uh, the big service with us. So um, what I wanted to do, knowing that children were going to be in the service, and this is the fifth Sunday, I, I just simply want to do something. I wanted to jump toward uh, Mark chapter 10. And in Mark chapter 10, there's a passage that Jesus deals with. And in the passage, he deals with the disciples, and he deals with family, but he also deals with some spiritual truth. He deals some, uh, with some spiritual truth about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is this. The kingdom belongs to children, and unless we become like children, we're going to miss the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss the kingdom of God. So Jesus must have some relevant words to us this morning about families and about children, about the kingdom of God. So uh, it's in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. What I'm going to do is I, I have somebody who's actually going to help me this morning, and she's going to be up here, and our kids are going to be up here, and they're going to be just fine. Um, so Ellie, once you come up, and uh, I want you to bring, uh, you can bring your microphone, and what we'll do is she is going to, this is Ellie, and what she's going to do is she's going to read our passage from Mark chapter 10, verse 13. All right, come on up here, and then I'll pray. Got it? Go ahead. Yep. Mark 10, 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not take receive the kingdom of God 
like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Very good. Good job. It is not easy to read in front of people, let alone for a little one. So, Ellie, thank you very much. Let me just pray. Father, thank you for this, this morning. Thank you for families. Father, thank you for moms and for dads, for children, for grandparents, aunts and uncles. Father, thank you that we are ultimately a part of your family. And God, what we want to do this morning is we simply want to look at a text and how you relate to children, how you relate to us. And I pray uh, in the words of the psalmist that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things from your law. And Father, I pray that you would let us see the unique person of Jesus and how he invites us to come to him, no matter what we are going through and what we're experiencing in life. So Father, open our eyes to the beauty of Jesus, and it's in his name that I pray, amen. So what I want to do this morning is I want to focus on two things with regard to the kingdom of God here. First of all, the kingdom is for weak people. He says the kingdom of God belongs to children. And so what we're looking at is the kingdom of God is open to weak and helpless and needy people. Children are weak, needy, they're helpless people at times, so we need to be like them. And the second thing is this, that we want to look at them, we want to emulate them, and we want to respond in such a way that we don't miss out on the kingdom. There's some values here. So that's what I want to do this morning. And what I'm going to have is I'm going to have four signs, all right? And our kids are going to be part of these four signs. And the first sign is this. It is a go sign, all right? So what they're going to do is they're going to be over there. There's going to be four signs. They're going to go, and Ellie's going to help them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this. You don't have to pay attention to them, but that's kind of what we're doing to help them kind of figure out what's going on and what the text is. And so the go sign is this. The go sign is Jesus is with the disciples. He's with these families, and the parents are bringing these children. They are going, they are bringing these children to Jesus. And I think what we see here is we see an absolutely beautiful moment here in the life of Jesus. I mean, think about it for a minute. Think about the life of Jesus. Think about all the times, especially in the Gospel of Mark, think about all the demands on Jesus, the crowds. When you look at the Gospel of Mark, the crowds always around Jesus. And what do they do? They're, they're demanding something of Jesus. Jesus, will you heal me? Jesus, will you help me? There's people uh, being confronted with his teaching. And, and Jesus, will you tell my brother to, bring, to, to divide up the, the, the inheritance with me? And what we have in the life of Jesus, all of these people coming and demanding something of Jesus. So what we have something is really beautiful here. I mean, consider Jesus' life up to this point in the Gospel of Mark. His own families rejected him. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, his own people, what do they do? They continue to confront him. They continue to go after him. They continue to plot his death, if you will. The disciples, the ones that he prayed for, the one that he chose, what? a lot of times they're hard-headed and they can't get it. They don't get it. And all of these things are going on. And now, from Mark chapter 8 on, Jesus is telling the people, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to go to the cross. So you have this tension in Jesus' life where he is going to the cross. You have almost this rejection by all these different types of people. And then you have this beautiful moment of what? Parents bringing their children to Jesus, handing them, maybe little babies, handing them to Jesus, and Jesus taking them in his arms. And he's probably praying for them. He's speaking a blessing over them. Matthew talks about that. And he's giving value to children. We have an incredibly beautiful moment. And what we know and understand is this. To Jewish people, this is important. To Jewish people, they, they wanted to bring their children to maybe a rabbi or to a teacher 
or, or to someone important, someone religiously important to them. Because what they wanted to do is they want to recognize that they had been blessed by God, and what they want to do is they want to pass on the blessing to the next generation. Psalm 127 says this. Listen to the, what, what the Bible says about children. Psalm 127 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man, the woman, whose quiver is full of them. To the Jewish people, this was a blessing. They wanted to bring their children to Jesus so they could pray upon them. And so what they were doing is they were simply responding to their Jewish heritage. You can go back to the book of Genesis. You can go back and read Genesis 39, I think it is, 38, where they have all of these blessings being down, uh, passed down from, from people, from person to person, because of the uniqueness of who the Jewish people were. The Talmud said, what you want to do is, the Jewish writing of the Talmud said, what you want to do is you want to bring your children to a religious leader so they can pray over them and bless them. And you've seen maybe something not exactly like this, but maybe something similar when we do a baby dedication. One of the most incredible privileges I have is to do a baby dedication. Maybe it doesn't matter to some of you. It matters to me. I get the privilege of you bringing your child. And sometimes they're crying, sometimes they're not. And I get to hold this little baby and I get to stand up and I get to invite you to stand up. And I get to pray for them and the family. And I get to pray over this child. And, and we're actually, what we are praying together and agreeing together is that we are going to partner in this. We're going to partner as the family of God. We're going to partner with this family because we have the privilege of being involved in each other's lives. Some of you will be this little baby's Sunday school teacher. And it's a great privilege for me to be able to stand in front Hold this baby in front of all of you. Invite you to stand and to pray for all of these people. And what we have is a beautiful picture of the God of this earth, what we know after the cross. What we know is, is we have God touching humanity in a wonderful and beautiful way. The incarnation, God comes to us and he physically touches humanity in a beautiful way and he invites children to come to him. Unfortunately, there's a problem. Look at verse 13. But the disciples rebuked them. Rebuked them. That's a pretty strong word. Remember when Peter, acts, or uh, uh, Mark chapter 8, Jesus tells the disciples and Peter, I'm going to go to the cross. And, and Peter pipes up and, and he actually rebukes the Lord. That's what we have here. We have a strong reaction here. And what the disciples say, listen, we don't want you to bring your children to Jesus. You need to stop. What's the issue here? What's the big deal? What's going on? Well, the text doesn't necessarily say, but maybe we can think of some things. Maybe we can think of, well, in Roman culture, the disciples are simply responding to the world around them. In Roman culture, children are not that big of a deal. As a matter of fact, children were kind of seen as property. If you didn't like them, you could get rid of them. What a horrible way to look and evaluate and, look at and, and to, to think about children. So maybe they didn't want to be a part of the Roman culture. They don't really matter, so we don't need to deal with them. Or maybe they're trying to protect Jesus. Jesus, you know, you've got, a, you've got a really big campaign going on here. You're preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. And what we're doing, these children are, are keeping you from preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. What we want to do is we want to make sure that they don't bother you and keep you from your mission. Or maybe there's something different. Maybe what we're seeing here is once again a clash of values, a clash of kingdom values. 
See, the disciples thought they had it, an understanding of who could be right with God and who could be with God and who could respond to God and who could come to God. They thought they had it all figured out. And so the feeding of the 5,000, what did they do? They wanted to just send the people away. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to feed them. And the Canaanite woman, the Syrophoenician woman, right? Tell, tell her to just go away. She's bothering us. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm going to heal her. And in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is going through Samaria. And, and they don't welcome him. They don't respond to him in the way that they think. And, and James and John, do you know what the James and John said? Let's just burn them up. You want me to call fire down heaven from heaven and just burn them up? That, that's the heart of the disciples at this particular point in time. And it seems to me what they have is they have a misunderstanding of the values of the kingdom and God's values toward people who are marginalized or displaced, women and children. They had a narrow understanding of the gospel and the kingdom and who could be in it. I get this picture that maybe Jesus is in a house and maybe he's been teaching in the house. Maybe he's outside the house or he walks outside the house. And all of a sudden these families come in and they're just walking up to Jesus and they're holding their babies and they're handing these little babies to Jesus. And what Jesus is simply doing is he's, he's just responding in a wonderful and a beautiful way, affirming that these children are God's creation. And what are the disciples doing? They're pushing them away. They're kind of saying, you guys get away from here. Sadly, what's happening here is that the disciples put up a stop sign. Stop. Disciples putting up a stop sign, trying to hinder God's creation, these blessed little children, if you will, from coming to Jesus. Let me ask you something. When you see an injustice, don't you respond? Don't we respond when we see some kind of injustice ill-treatment toward other people. And that's what Jesus did. He responded. He responded in an appropriate way. Look at verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Indignant. What does that word mean? It means he's pretty upset. Jesus was upset. He was offended. He saw the unfair treatment of these children and he responded in such a way that it caused him to react and to remind the disciples of something bigger, something greater. And that's this, that Jesus loved children and that Jesus loved marginalized people and that Jesus loved weak people and Jesus loved needy people. In other words, Jesus had an affinity for all kinds of people, especially children. How many times in the gospel do we see Jesus in an encounter with a child, the royal official son who was sick and he heals him, the demonized son of somebody else heals them, Jairus' daughter who he basically says, little girl, little lamb, I say, arise. To the widow at Nain, she, she has one child. And Jesus is walking by and he walks in and he stops this funeral procession from going through. And what does he do? He walks up and he touches it. And he raises this little person back to life. Jesus has an affinity and a love and a passion for children who would simply, through faith, and because they're needy and helpless, respond to him in a beautiful way. Think about children in your own neighborhood. You have children in your neighborhood? I have a lot of children. When I go outside my house, I have uh, Henry and uh, Theodore over here, and then there's five kids over here, and there's two 
kids over here being raised by their grandparents, and then over here there's probably four or five. Next door is Max. I have all of these children outside, and, and most of the time they're playing. From morning to night they're playing, and they are having a great time, and they love each other, and they are having such a beautiful time. I see them out there playing. But I also know that there's something else about these children that's very, very true, and it's this. None of them have jobs. I've never seen any of them get up and go to work. I've never seen any of them drive. Um, I don't see them cook. I, don't, I see very little church. I, 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 very, I very seldom see a lot of activity with them pouring back into and giving back to their family. Why is that so? Because they're helpless. They're absolutely helpless and 100% dependent upon their parents for everything. They can't cook, they can't drive, they can't do any of these things. What they need to do is they need to stop and listen and respond to their parents, be absolutely dependent upon to take care of everything for them. Food, clothing, because they are in need. And notice what the text says, Jesus responds to them. He says this, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And that is such a radical statement given what was going on in the Roman culture at that particular point in time. Jesus affirmed the dignity of children. Jesus affirmed that he loved them and that he cared for them. There's a, a theologian by the name of B.B. Warfield, and this is what he wrote about the dignity and the affirmation of children. He said this, childhood owed as much to the gospel as womanhood. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, what the gospel did, the good news of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it so changed the thoughts and patterns of people that they, they did life entirely different. When they understood the reality of the kingdom of God and the reality of God's love for children, it radically changed and altered how these people responded. I want to give you an illustration of that. There's a gal by the name of Rebecca McLaughlin, and in 2019, she wrote a book. And in this book, she mentions a professor and how his understanding of the gospel radically changed his understanding of children and what we should be doing of children. The professor's name is Paul Offit, and he was a professor of pediatrics and vaccinology at the University of Pennsylvania. And he had good reason to believe that religion actually hindered morality. And this is why. In 1991, there was a measles epidemic, and it swept through Philadelphia. Hundreds of children got sick. Nine died. Offit was an attending physician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. What differentiated these measles-stricken patients with other six kids was how unnecessary their suffering was. Two Philadelphia churches whose school educated hundreds of children had refused vaccination and medical care. Thus, the disease took hold and spread. This incident was one among many that prompted Offit to write a book entitled this, Bad Faith, How Religious Belief Undermines Modern Medicine. Being non-religious he assumed he would sound the themes that have been sounded by militant atheists like Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, and Sam Harris, that religion is illogical and potentially harmful. This is in 1991, not too long ago. But, but something changed. 
as Offutt began to read the Bible and he explored the history of medicine, he changed his mind. Jesus' advocacy for children moved him to tears. And this is what he wrote after studying the life of Jesus and the history of the church. Independent of whether you believe in the existence of God, you have to be impressed with the man described as Jesus of Nazareth. At the time of Jesus' life, one historian said that child abuse was the crying voice of the Roman Empire. Infanticide was common. Abandonment was common. That's because children were property no different than slaves. But Jesus stood up for children, cared for them, when those around them typically didn't. And often now calls Christianity the single greatest breakthrough against child abuse. And he goes on to cite what happened with Constantine in um, AD 300, what Constantine did to bring in changes to society at that particular point in time. You see what changed his understanding of the medical profession and the life of Jesus? He was confronted with Jesus and the kingdom of God and how Jesus loved children and how the early church, because they understood the values of the kingdom, they too loved people and they loved children and they brought about a radical change. Why is that so? Because Jesus has a heart for all people. It doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter if you're a child, doesn't matter if you're young, old. Jesus has a heart for the marginalized. He has a heart for the broken people. He has a, a heart for the, the, the deaf, the dumb, the blind. He has a heart for all of those people who seem to be displaced in society because according to the values of the kingdom, the values of the kingdom are for those who respond in faith to the reality of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom of God. Who's the kingdom belong to? It belongs to children, but it belongs to people like them who find themselves needy and helpless and dependent upon somebody else. What Jesus simply does is use a child to show how we are all needy, helpless, and dependent upon others. And so what Jesus does in verse 15 is to apply it, if you will, not just to children, to disciples, but to all of us. Notice what he says, verse 15. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What does Jesus do here? He uses this opportunity to bring out a, a spiritual reality. What's he talking about here? He's using children, how children belong, and he's drawing out the reality of the kingdom of God. Twice he uses that phrase, the kingdom of God. And who's he directing this to? He says to anyone. This isn't just to children. This isn't just to the parents. This is to anyone. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What's interesting is this. If you were to look at this passage in Mark chapter 10 and go back and beginning in, in Mark chapter 1, what you would see is this idea. You would see a, a picture of what the kingdom of God actually looks like in the gospel of Mark. In, in the kingdom of God in the gospel of Mark, demons flee. In other words, there's a spiritual warfare going on. We're probably seeing that this week. And that Jesus has the power to conquer spiritual warfare, if you will. That you and I can enter into a spiritual relationship with Jesus because of who he is and what he's done for us. Leopards are cleansed in God's kingdom. It means this, that nothing that you've ever done in your life can keep you from Jesus if you will simply put your faith, trust, 
in him and look to him. You too, we can be cleansed of our sin because of who Jesus is. That's important truths about the, spirit, the kingdom of God. What about injustice? Maybe you're being treated unjustly. The kingdom of God says this, that God is a just God. And that even in the midst of the injustices of life, we can trust him at the end of the day because God is a God of justice. And he knows and sees exactly what's going on in our lives. So what I can do is I can respond in a way that puts my faith and trust in him, no matter what the situation is. And yes, and you cannot buy. You cannot buy your way to heaven. It's very difficult for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. Why? Because they tend to hang on to their source of wealth, maybe be power, possessions, all those other things. And what Jesus simply does is he invites us to come to him and to respond to him, recognizing that we are helpless and needy people. Listen, if there was ever a text about the values of the kingdom of God, it was here. He's speaking to children, he's speaking to anyone about how we respond and how we find ourselves, how we might respond to God being helpless, dependent people for who he is and what he would do for us. You want to know how important this was to him? Notice what he says in verse 15, I tell you the truth. In other words, he's saying pay attention. You better pay attention to this. The warning is stark. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter. Let me ask you, how are you responding to the kingdom of God? In your intellect? In all the things that you are doing to earn your way into the kingdom of God? Or are you simply saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I come to you like a helpless child in need of what you would provide for me in the life, death, burial, and resurrection. What this calls us to do is to respond to the king. Jesus is the king, right? If there's a kingdom, there's a king. And what we are are called to do is to respond to the king. Think about the time of Jesus. Herod. Herod was concerned about a king, right? So what did he do? He slaughtered all of the babies. Pilate, confronted with the reality of Jesus, said, are you a king? They recognize him to be a king. And what you and I have the incredible privilege of doing is responding to the kingdom and to the king and who Jesus is and what he would have for our lives. We don't have to earn anything. We don't have to do anything. What we simply need to do is to approach God's kingdom and the king helplessly dependent upon his grace for us. Have you seen some of the uh, Christmas commercials coming out already? We're not even Thanksgiving yet. At Christmas time, what do we sing from the uh, Christmas carol? Hark the herald angels sing glory to what? The newborn king. Let me ask you something. Is Jesus king of your life? Is he on the throne of your life or are you on the throne of your life? Jesus, Mark chapter one says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Over and over in the life of Jesus, we see Jesus referring to the kingdom of God and what repentance would look like to a guy by the name of Nicodemus, right? A religious leader. He says, you must be born again to the rich young ruler who who wanted to follow him. He says, "Uh, tell me what to do. And he says, you come follow me. Get rid of all of your stuff and you come follow me, if you will. To the thief on the cross, he's dying on the cross. He'd never done anything to earn anything from a relationship with God. He simply cast himself on the mercy of the Lord. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. We enter into God's kingdom 
by recognizing that we are weak and that we are needy and we are helpless and we absolutely need him for every aspect of our life. I was uh, at this um, uh, pastor's appreciation dinner on Thursday with Bot Radio, and Andy Bennis was there. And, you know, we all know Andy Bennis, the pitcher for the, for the Cardinals, and I heard him share his testimony. I'd never heard it before. And um, he talks about him being the number one in the draft when he was playing. He was the number one pitcher in the draft. Um, he was on the Olympic team, and he was playing for the Cardinals, and he had all of this stuff. He had everything. On the outside, he had everything. He even had Jesus, he would say this, on the outside. He had Jesus here. And he was doing all of this stuff. As he gets closer to the end of his career, um, his wife said something that kind of triggered him and said this, because of the spiral in his life and all the different things that he was doing on it. He said, you know what? You uh, can't say no to anyone else except your family. You can't say no to anyone else except your family. And they had this giant split. So he says that one day he went to, uh, he went to a basketball game. And uh, his wife was there, and, and they didn't see each other. And so um, they played the basketball game, and then they went out. And then he says, as he, as he walked out of the auditorium, as he walked out into the parking lot, there was one car. And he was the only person in his car, in the parking lot. And he said, I began to bawl. I began to weep. I found that I was absolutely, utterly helpless by myself. And I needed Jesus. He said, I had Jesus here. I didn't have him here. And I needed to respond in a helpless way. And that's what we see in this passage that we need to become like children in our faith and our dependence upon Jesus, to simply look at him and to look at the uniqueness of Jesus, look at his word and say, I want to reach out and follow Jesus and respond to him no matter what's going on in my life. Before we get to just a, a few things of application, I, I want to read a text from the Old Testament. What is the responsibility, moms, dads? What is the responsibility for us as a church? You know, for this, this great idea of faith about the kingdom. Let me just read Psalm 78, and then a couple words of application, then we'll leave. Notice what Psalm 78 says. It says this, O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and his wonders he has done. Why does the psalmist spend almost a hundred verses rehearsing the history of the people of Israel to everyone else? Why, why does he do that? It's so that they would, the people would, put their faith and their trust in the Lord. That's why he does all these things. I'm going to look back on all the things that God has done so that the next generation, four generations there, so that these people will be able to put their faith and trust in the Lord. So that takes us to the application. Kids, we got a hand up here. Here's the application. I'm almost done. Application. Well, so what, what are we supposed to do here? What, what do we take away from this? I, I want to I, I pull out a couple things with regard to the hand. Number one is this. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Are you trying to earn something from God? Or are you approaching your relationship with Jesus? 
Come to me, all you are weary and heavy burden, and, and, and I will give you rest. All who, all who come to me, I will certainly not cast out. How are you approaching your relationship with Jesus? Are you coming to him? Are you responding to him? Because he's your heavenly father? That's the way that responds. Our father, who art in heaven, that's the God that we serve. We have a heavenly father who loves us. When you look at 1 John, if you go back and read 1 John, over and over in 1 John, you hear a word repeated, and it's this idea of family. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, How great the Father has lavished. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called what? Children of God. And that's what we are. If you have embraced Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, you are God's child. And he loves you, and he cares for you, and he will respond to you. Are you God's child? Second thing is this. The Talmud, uh, which is a Jewish kind of writings, you have the, the, the oral laws, you have the, the Jewish Talmud. It says this. A child tells in the street what his father and mother say at home. Isn't that interesting? That means your, your, your kids are watching you. Your kids are watching you in... Not just on Sunday morning, but they're watching you every day. And, and what do our lives say? What does my life, what do our lives say about Jesus? Are we bringing our, are, are we bringing our children to church? Yeah, I'm bringing them to church. Are you bringing them to Jesus? There's a difference. You, parents, are the primary pastor, youth pastor, whatever you want to do. it. Well, you are the primary role. And bringing your child to Jesus. Are you doing that? Are you doing that well? I'm not trying to beat us up here. I put myself in the same situation. I, I love being a grandfather. I want my grandchildren to know Jesus more than anything else. And I want to do the best that I can to demonstrate what it means to be a godly man. I know Laura's trying to do the same thing. Let me ask you, are you keeping your children from Jesus? Are you keeping your children? What was the problem here? The disciples saw children as a bother. Jesus saw children as something wonderful and beautiful for the way that they approached their relationship with him and faith and responding to him. Moms, dads, are you responding to Jesus? Young people, apart from your mom and dad, are you responding to Jesus? I can't tell you how many times I've heard the testimony of someone who's been 6, 7, 8, 9, 12 years old who responded to the call of God in their life to go someplace else because God was revealing himself to them. Young people, are you cultivating your relationship with God in such a way that you're learning and growing, maybe even apart from your mom and dad? God is powerful enough to do that through his word. Families play an incredible role in the spiritual development of children. I want to give you one verse. It's in 2 Timothy. Timothy came to faith. God used his mother and his grandmother in his life. Notice how he writes this in 2 Timothy. He says this. Paul writes to Timothy. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned have become convinced of because you know those people from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. What from from a, from childhood, from an infancy, mom and grandma spoke the Old Testament to him and prepared his heart so that he could receive and understand the Messiah. Are you God's child? Are you involved with children? Are you learning, growing in your faith? And the last thing is this, and I'm done, is this. Are you involved in bringing children to Jesus? What I mean by that is, you know, we have a wonderful missions call. CEF, they do a wonderful job, responsibility, of taking the message of Jesus to other people. For years, we sponsored and, and um, supported the, the Smiths at Kentucky Mountain Mission. You want to talk about some of the poorest of poor coming out of the city, going to this um, Kentucky Mountain Missions every summer and hearing about people and hearing about Jesus. We, we've had a privilege of being a part of that. Our young people went to France and they were involved in, in, a, in a mission trip to, to young people who do not, most of them didn't know Jesus. And so that's why in the idea of, of missions that we support some of these organizations. That's why we do this trunk or treat tonight. I know there's a lot of controversy over that. I, 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 we understand it. We are trying to provide a, a safe environment where families can come together around good, godly Christian people so that we can minister and serve them. That's what we're trying to do. We love Jesus, and we want people to be taken from the darkness into the light. So, the kingdom of God belongs to children. Are we needy, hungry, and dependent upon him? What a great privilege we have of being involved in the lives of other people, the lives of family. And I hope that you see that being a part of the family of God is important, that we need, we need each other in the family of God. I'm going to pray, and then we will be done. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that in the life of Jesus, in the midst of the chaos of his life, in the midst of rejection, we have a beautiful picture of what family looks like and a beautiful picture of parents bringing their children to the one who would pray for them, to the one who would bless them. Father, I pray that uh, you would allow us as, as moms and dads and as parents and grandparents, as aunts and uncles, Lord, as family members, to be able to be supportive of our children. Father, we ask that you would continue to go before us and help us. Lord, we desire this afternoon, this evening, to, to be a light in the midst of the darkness. And Father, I pray that you would maybe just open up conversations with people tonight as we attempt to show them and model to them how much Jesus cares for children. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for changing us. In Jesus' name, amen.